Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode four of Second Act Actors, the podcast that celebrates people who've made a major life and or career change into acting. I'm your host, Janet McMorty, and I was originally and still am a medical doctor, and I decided to pursue acting. Today, my guest is Clement Toe. Clement is an engineer and tech guru turned actor, and we talk about everything from optimization to team sports to that kid's TV show, Dexter's Lab. Remember that one? I hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Trigger warning, this episode contains references to severe depression. Please see the timestamps for when this part of our conversation occurs. had a really interesting really interesting journey I think to get to the point where you are now so tell me about like we're calling it your first act so tell me about growing up and then kind of your first career before you started getting into acting so I studied engineering and I was in the tech space for approximately 10 years and I don't know if I consider that my first career because every time I thought that's that's my career but then I went back to my photos I remembered oh wait I was on all these stages as a kid and my first summer job first internship was actually where all my friends went to do research i actually went to a production in china for three months when we're in this mountain it's called the hundian world studio i had my first job as i guess a casting director assistant but i also had a like a bit of extra role and one principal role in like this soap opera so to speak so that was actually my very first summer job (laughs) that was sort of me scratching my itch other than that, I was studying engineering for, should be four or five years, but really took me like seven years before I dropped out. <laughs> and then I went, to, well, I went to, I went to, I was seduced by the startup life, let's say. I had the two and a half failed startup. Well, the, the last one, it's not quite failed. It's just been hiatus since I came back to acting. So I've also worked in tech company like AMD, which makes some half of your uh, probably CPUs and graphic cards. And yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's a bit of my life, my career before acting. And most of my, most of my friends today, I think are still from like the tech world. There's tech world, maybe I have a three group of friends now. I have a tech group, group of friends from the tech world startup. I have a group of friends from uh, the Latin dance, Brazilian, Brazilian Zook specifically. And then the, the third circle is my uh, acting friends. When you were growing up, did you want to be an engineer? That's a good question. I think like most kids, I didn't know what I want. Well, growing up, what I really want to be, what do when I'm growing up is Superman. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that doesn't quite work because it's very genetic to be Superman. It's interesting because I grew up in China, right? I, um, mm-hmm. it was, I was literally was 15. But I didn't consume, but I consumed a lot of Western, like I consumed like the book, books, the literatures, and then I, I just watched Comedy Central. So like, I guess I was, I, I was brainwashing myself with the Western like culture before I even knew how to speak English. And so I watched the show. I remember one of them vividly was the Dexter's Lab. And oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. For some reason, that kid was just so cool to, cool to me. Like he's like the little kid, like I'm assuming everyone bullies him, but then he goes home, goes, goes to his like. Well, Fortress of Solitude. And it's the baddest lab in the world. And he created satellites. I was like, I, I want that. 
yeah, so I was, I was, I, I liked science. Didn't like math very much growing up. I was, I was good at them though. But I, I remember in school, this is always my top three. I guess uh, I'm good at math, science. I enjoy business because it's just it's kind of like a chess. The whole thinking it, it excites me. But what I really love, enjoy everything I'm doing was my drama class. So that was always what was my order was、uh, drama, business, and then math and science. But when it comes to choosing for college, of course, I had like talking with my dad and just make the rational choice. He told me that, "Hey son, if you wanna learn business, you will learn you can learn any time in your life. In fact, like it's unavoidable. We have to learn business at some point in our life. Math and science. If you don't study that in in school, very few people will like end up studying it on their own after school." You made a good point. So I went to a yeah. I went to a, I went to engineering. Didn't think about acting because, well, I just didn't see myself as a like compared to all my talented friends, not that good. My English is not that good. I don't have like the the fluent local accent. And to me, it was just the logical part of my brain is like there's, there's no no way. That's your second Superman dream. Like just <laughs> do your go go be your Dexter. Like and then we'll, we'll see how that goes. So.、Uh, So that's what I ended up doing, trying to not be an actor for ten years in my life. Were there pressures? Like, there's obviously pressure you put on yourself, you know, kind of saying, "Oh, let's be the logical person," and the logical step would be go for the job that would provide monetary monetary comfort and stability. Stability—that's the word I'm looking for. Was there pressure from anyone else, like pressure from your parents or anything like that? I think I'm really lucky. I have great parents. I mean, they have the the usual amount of like parents, like generation gap, cultural gap, because immigrants and the regular amount of nagging. But what I think is really rare, and I couldn't appreciate, I never could never appreciate enough about my parents is, although they they couldn't understand a lot of things I do, like what the decisions I made. Although they disapprove, they verbalize that, but action wise, they always supported me, and that's. I think I, that's the best thing I could ever ask from a parent. That's really, I think that's rare. I find from a lot of high achieving, kind of analytical, right brain minded people like yourself. I'm going to put myself in that category. I think it's probably rare. I mean, I had supportive parents too, but I think it's probably. I think we're the rarity, to be honest. You know, kind of a lot of pressure to to succeed. And I think even though we are part of that, you know, millennial generation where we were lucky in that our parents said yes, go do what you want to do. But I think there was a lot of kind of maybe unspoken pressure. I think I don't know if you felt that or for you, you just kind of put it on yourself. Oh, I, I definitely felt、uh, a lot of pressure. I'm trying to think how much of that was explicitly expressed by. Not just my immediate family, but the larger family, and how much I was putting myself. So, like a little more background. Like I, my my dad has three brothers, so he's the out, oldest, and I'm the oldest among my cousins. So even in the extended family, and he's also the more successful one in the extended family. He's always trying to look out for other family members at large, and I guess in some degree, I felt that pressure on my on myself, just because like he's done such a great job. Taking care of this extended family, I feel like there's just a shoe that I couldn't fill. I feel may- maybe I'm not alone in this. Probably many children have in one area or another. They see their parents in some way that they just they really admire. But it's, it's it would be a hopeless game trying to fill that game. And to me, that's probably the filial duty. Like 
the, the, the term, the idea filial, it's a, it's very, it's very important in the East. And I didn't, I didn't even understand that or appreciate that growing up there as a kid. I really started learning so much about, I guess, Eastern culture after I came to Canada and looking from the outsider lens. It's, it's weird. Like I was looking so much into the Western world when I was in China. But now that I'm here, I start understanding and looking more into like Eastern culture and world. I even I had a better understanding of my own culture after I came here. Was there something that kind of triggered that? And, or was it, I know as we get older, we tend to want to look more at the origins of where we came from. I know I do personally, but was there something for you that kind of triggered it? Well, on one, one side, I always have this uh, insatiable curiosity. And I really hated histories and geography when I was in high school because they just make me I memorize things. At the time, I was struggling with English. So memorizing is no-no. But now, like, it's been so long since I was out of school. But you catch me, like, I watch history channels. I watch geography channels. Like, I do this, I don't know how many, probably way too many hours a week that I care to admit. Like, I like these documentaries in nature, animal, geography, and history. I was like, why didn't I do this in school? So that part, uh, just the curiosity, not just in my family history, like culture, but also just the history of humanity and the world. There were a few important events in my life, and I think the pivotal moment for many of them, they actually came, came with, uh, I had two very long depressive episodes, like depressions, each were 10 months, and these were not just feeling low for 10 months, these were like debilitating, like I, f- couldn't, I don't have the energy to leave the bed, I feel ashamed going outside and be a bother to society kind of mm-hmm. episodes and I think those two episodes uh, really pivot some moments in me and par- partially uh, I think one of those pivot was uh, turned me from this uh, achievement focused person or thinking into like valuing like family if everything was taken away from me right my achievements my past someone erased my resume or change it for like something bad infamous and what if i lost my intellect if i lost my ability to speak or like what what, what would be what would be left there and then i think the answer is the same for most people's family and i really see that um, instead of just me trying to pay uh well, pay respect or honor my family by achieving things. There could be more direct. I can improve more, like, the direct experience I have with my family. I still have all the frustration. I think a lot of people go through with their family, with com- com- miscommunication, misunderstanding. But I, I just realized that there is more uh, room for me to make a more conscious effort to improve our relationship today instead of trying to achieve something and everything I do is a means to the end and then when I achieve that they'll be proud of me when I achieve that I'll be able to like better uh, serve my family instead of that like just the little things I can do to improve how they how my life with them today like I think that's one of the pivotal moments and do you think that was a pivotal moment that made you switch from the engineering focus into your more creative focus that you have now. I don't know. Did that align with the, with a, one of those depressions that you had had had? And do you feel like your creative past passions now? And you've got incredible resume and talent. Do you feel that that honors 
that more than maybe when you were in engineering thinking, this is how I honor my family? For, for the first part of the question, yes, definitely. The depression was, I mean, the most immediate episode was in the uh, span from 2000, 2000, well, actually 2018, that's when it happened. 2016, 2018, 10 months. So in the 2018 one, with the most recent one, I was, uh, I was already seeing a therapist for like, I want to say like 12 months nonstop before that. And didn't prevent me from going through, because that was from the first depression after I got out of it because I couldn't have the energy to even go see a therapist mm, during yeah. it. After I got out of it, I want to understand myself better so like I can be stronger and not. Somehow it just didn't help. <laughs> I, I, I feel myself slipping into the second one and until I don't have the energy to see the therapist anymore. But uh, the second one really took a lot of interest away from me. My interest in music, I'm interested in dancing. Uh, and then I remember I was having a conversation with one of my good friends, Jacob, we're on the Twin Peak Mountains in San Francisco. It's like really late and I for some reason we were both there and I was seeing family, he was there for some reason. I'm always very honest about what I'm going through, so I'm t- telling him that I just I feel like don't have a life in me. Like I just don't have any I don't know where to go because everything I was interested in, I was pulled to, it no longer posed me. But then as I'm telling him that I, I remember like well, actually, there is still one thing, <laughs> and that is acting, because that's that's just the desire, interest I've just buried deep in me. Like I want to do, but I just know, like I just couldn't do. It's not practical. It's not smart. Like, no, right? So I was like, you know what? Like I, at this moment, couldn't do anything else anyway, and acting costs cheaper than therapy. So let's anything get me out of the house. Let, let let's just do it. Like, what's the worst that can happen? And having the conversation with my friend Jacob, he really pushed me. He's like, okay, I'm going to get on to you. Like, I'm going to check with you if you sign up for acting class. I love friends who keep me accountable like that. So I, yeah, so I signed up for some acting class in Toronto. I did some basic research. Didn't know where to begin, of course. Like, just get to start somewhere. But uh, once I got into this acting class, all my uh, memory, not just memory, but the feeling that this is the right place came back from high school time and the time before that. I went through a few of the studios before I found LB. Again, if I don't stop somewhere, I will never even discover LB. And I think, I think LB is where I finally met challenge. Like, okay, yeah, these people are like, there's way more I can learn from them. Where like I feel being challenged by the coaches. I've been, I feel being challenged by my classmates. Actually, that's the most important part. I think I, I really get, I really get a kick out of this acting class by just being immersed in the. Yeah, in the greatness of my peers. I think that's that's what really valuable to me in group class. Because as a good engineer or left-brained person, I did the calculation. If I just go, if I would just want to price the performance, if I just want optimizing it, private class actually costs less than group class. But I really enjoy like just being awe, in awe of my great peers. Absolutely. And just as an aside, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, LB uh, is Louis Baumander's acting school. I'm in, we are in no shape, way, shape or form affiliated or get any money from Louis or the LB acting studio, but they are just fantastic. And that's where um, Clement and I met. I draw another analogy between the startup world and the acting world. I think you have to be crazy to do both. And you have to absolutely, like, you couldn't do anything else. That's why you're here. Like, you couldn't breathe another breath without doing 
startup we're acting that's why we're here and this is like definitely not a spring it's a marathon we can look at the biggest alias even people who like had overnight success where they blew up it, it, they struggled also like years before and they're, they're likely to struggle like years later in some way we're also like stocks just because we go up now doesn't guarantee we're going to continue going up or we have no idea where it's going to go tomorrow so like almost in some way almost doesn't matter like where we are in our career the kind of like the, the feeling the struggle we have it's the same like regular people they face like they have to look for a new job like oh if they got fired once a year or a few years for us that's just not a Tuesday we apply jobs and we get rejected regularly on a basis and we don't even hear feedback that's just this is all life like we have to be kind with, to each other and more likely we're we're gonna end up creating something together instead of competing because this is industry like this is expanding industry like in tech world in, in many in many parts it's a shrinking industry especially in Canada we think about aerospace and in our entertainment industry it's expanding industry and we need to have more allies and we need to have more teammates so we can create a elevate ourselves basically in this industry it, it's not a I think this is one of the things I really learned hard way in university remember that Dexter Dexter's lab one miseducation I got from that is that you can do all that yourself for the most part I was able to manage to almost most things in myself up to university and that's that's when I really realized like doesn't matter how smart I am and how much I can do or how much I don't sleep there's so little an individual can do. Hmm. And that, that point was drilled in even more in the startup days and follow later. It's like we're, we're never in a solo sports. Even athletes performing solo sports, they're not doing it on themselves. Mm-hmm. They need their nutritionist. They need their, they need a doctor. They need their coach. They even need their PR person. Like you could be the most amazing athletes, like remote part of the world. No one will know you exist. You, you won't even know the competition exists. You have to be able to get yourself to compete in the world stage. What we do here is so intangible. It's so subjective. Mm-hmm. Whether people like the way you sound, the way you look, the way you emote, the way you carry your body. like it, it, It's so hard. We all have our favorite celebrities and actors. And we don't really know that are they actually the best because we like them or because a lot of people seem to like them. It's so hard because we have such a different variable as human beings. That makes the team even more important. We need that immediate team of support if we want to compete in the higher game. That, that's what I firmly believe. And if we have allies, that's going to help us even further in this game. I think I think it's applied to not just acting, not just entertainment industry. I think that's just how our world works. That's how our human society works. And I wish that's a lesson I learned much earlier on. The very first thing we have to learn is it doesn't matter how powerful a smart an individual gets. Humans, we don't play solo sports. We're always competing in a team sports. Was there a time when you realized how important that was? Well, I, I think I started realizing at university and I still haven't finished the transition. Mm-hmm. Because just like how I, how I do in... Um, did in my startup or even now like I volunteer at this uh, neighborhood association being their like I guess their communication director or tech person <laughs> it's really glorified the internal IT guy whenever I'm doing something like I think that trusting someone else to do it that's still the hard part in me and it's not like, I trust people like I trust they're good and it's just that whenever they do something that's not quite to my high standard 
or like I know there's an easier way, efficient way to do it. It's it's just sometimes I feel like oh, instead of training them, I might as well do it myself and that kind of thing. And I just don't trust them to do it as good of a job. I even have that same feeling when it comes to plumbing and electricity and even my cars, because I have had bad experience of people messing them up. And I was like, why do I bother to go with them? I could just do a better job myself. <laughs> so, but it's that part I'm still working with. I need to be able to learn to delegate and trust. I'm still learning to this day. I don't think I fully transitioned that. Everything that you do, you do extremely well and to a high level. There's no half-assing. The thought would be, why half-ass something when it's yours? You have to go full out, do a good job, work hard. Never like only paint half of a room. Paint the whole room. So to have people who say, "Oh, yeah, I'm just going to paint half the room." I, for me, at least, it I, I'm with you 100, and it's something that I, I struggle with. I struggle to delegate for those exact reasons. Well, if I just wanted it done right, I'd just do it myself. And like exactly what you're saying, it's so hard because now I'm expending energy on. I'm diffusing my energy around everywhere when I could just be concentrating on what I actually need to concentrate on. I, I see that in every part of my life. Like my brain, it's a nonstop optimizer. So sometimes it's just like, you know what? Go watch some history channel. Go 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 do go do this because there's very little you can optimize in there. Because otherwise, just, I would just be looking at that it's like mm, I can be better. It's like OCD level of optimization. Do you think that helps you or hinders you or both in acting? Both. It's the same thing with ADHD.、Yeah. Like. I think society. There's so much about our psyche that we don't understand. Like we, like our view on things constantly flipping. I'm, all, I'm starting. I'm in a way. I'm grateful. I didn't realize that I had ADHD until I was about 27. Well, what I had was ADHD. Let's put it that way, because I never really see it as a debilitating disease or like whatever they call that syndrome. I just that thought that's always part of me. That's unique. Yeah. Like people call me a little monkey or like whatever. Like. <laughs> So I just like I learned to work with it, and I because of that I was when when people switching attention, pull different things, they get stressed. I get excited. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I need stimulation. So I was able to do those things. There's tasks and the ways that I do things. I wouldn't be able to do it without ADHD. Right. But just the things that we have to learn how, how to、uh, we learn the trade off with anything we were given, just like the optimization.、Mm-hmm. To many people, intellects optimization usually it's a talent. It's、uh, it's something people thought after treats. But you probably felt this in our in our space arts. We get told this all the time. Oh, you're like you're too left. You're analyzing too much. You're left brain. You you are like. I can hear Lewis saying, "You're too logical. You're too logical. You're too logical. Intellectual." I was like,、oh. we were almost meant to feel ashamed of our intellect or like that. Lewis Lewis never makes anyone feel shame, but he can spot it in your eyes, the logic. And I remember him saying to me once, and this again over Zoom, I can see in your eyes the text analysis, and you analyzing everything that's coming through. He's like, just forget, just forget about it. I'm like, well, I can't. <laughs> that's just how my brain works. I like to do things actually that are my weaknesses, which in the business world, like we're supposed to minimize, maximize, and minimize. We shouldn't do that. But to me, I feel like as a whole person and as a, again, like I want to in the future be a good example to my children. I want to be able to address my weakness. 
I think it takes a lot of confidence in yourself and like self love to start saying, my whole life I've done things that I'm good at and been praised at and been told to keep doing things I'm good at, to now be like, you know what, I'm sensing weakness in myself. I want to push myself to do things that I'm not good at. And maybe I won't get that gratification or, you know, words of whiz or like, you know, the words of affirmation. I think, and for it to solely be growing and gratifying for you, that must have been a big transition, I would, I would assume, right? Because you're kind of making yourself more vulnerable to failure, which is tough. You know what? I never thought about that. But now you said it. As a gifted child, you're told, at least a millennial gifted child like I am, yeah, you're good at this. Keep doing that. Yeah, do it more. Good for you. Good for you. And then you kind of, work, then you kind of get bored of it. But then now as you're an adult, it's harder to learn stuff. I think you have to have that that feeling of being okay with failing at stuff and doing it just for the pure enjoyment of it, as opposed to, like you were saying, achievement-oriented. Well, there's a minor achievement-oriented goal there, too. I don't need to be world-class at everything I do, although there's the type that I don't want to half-ass, I want to go full in, right? But I, I, their goal is I want to be good enough so that I can show this to my children. Oh, that's lovely. So if there's some, something that one day they decide that's what they want to be really good at world class, they could be. Because if I don't show them the door, they, they will never discover it. So I just want to be good enough to show my children the door. That's, that, that is one goal. You said something earlier that I never thought about before. I should probably make a note somewhere. Because of these things I do, like I just want to tackle my weakness. I constantly put myself in this vulnerable place. I never thought about that that way. That is very true. And I think that might made my just jumping back into acting feel so natural because I'm being used to I'm used to being rejected, I'm being used to be vulnerable, and I think depression really helps because if I don't think anyone would ever feel as low as uh, it's funny because now I'm saying depression really helps. Like when I was depressed, I could never have thought about like one good reason. Like why? What good could ever come of this? But now like being at as low as dysfunctional as I was. In that state, I could never be as low. I could never humiliate myself as much as when I was depressed. I could just like there's there's really nothing to comp- compare to that. You really feel like there's not much to lose. Like you could take your risk and you could take your risk and fail. Do you think you could be comfortable with the acting industry now, with that rejection, failure, and no feedback? If you had never gone through what you'd gone through, the reason why I glad I didn't go to theater school is I enjoy the breath allowed me to explore other parts of my life, what life could be. Exploring dancing, exploring tech, exploring like there's all the other avenues of life, and I think that really enriched. So not I'm not just an actor; I'm actually a person with rich. Depths and breadth in my life experience and culture, and I think I'm still learning how to connect them to sh- to to bring that to my character. And one one day, I think when I'm getting better at that, I think that those are all the hidden treasures. And if I if I did it the other way around, if I become a child uh, child star, let's say that way, and went to theater school and just pursue acting my entire life, born in the acting family, I'm sure I get the acting skill bring bring this a lot. But then the actual experience probably will be missing. There's sort of a trade-off. For me, right now, I'm glad I have a lot of like repertoire there. I'm just learning how to use them, connecting them, versus if I'm a master of acting, but I have nothing to draw from.
Give me a crazy, funny, or memorable onset story. Crazy, funny. Haven't had many. Okay, actually, there is one. <laughs> This goes back to my very first job in the mountains in China. We were shooting something, and I was I was assisting that day. I was sitting there. Being in the mountains, it's a lot of mosquitoes, and there's something about me. I'm a mosquito magnet. On sale, there's every day there was like twenty, thirty thousand dollar being spent, right? So everything is important. So we're all quiet. These things are rolling, and then I see a big fly just flying around me, and then landed right on my crotch. Oh no! I didn't think too much. My first thought was like, no, don't bite me there, because I, I I got I got a whatever whatever I had in my hand. I hit it as hard as I can. That's like instinctually, I'm just like, do not bite me there. Boom! And you can imagine, I immediately was like, and then the director's like, cut, what the, and then everyone look at me, and then, and then for a second, they realize what's going on, the whole set was laughing. What is exciting you right now, pumping you up right now at this moment? Doesn't have to be related to acting or anything, just something that you woke up this morning and you were like, oh, this is cool. Kind of excited for the, for the new pandemic. I don't want people to suffer and hurt. That that's terrible. But I really I enjoy winter. I enjoy like this kind of beginning of twenty twenty when we were when I was the most productive.、Mm. And I think now like when we finish New Year, there's nothing really happening for a while, right? And slow in the industry for、uh, for like this parties and kicking. I enjoy like this quiet and slowness.、Yeah. No one's seeing anybody. No one's like going on the summer and people are home. I enjoy this like precious productivity coming up. Interesting. Yeah, I feel it. There's something kind of, I say nostalgic, but it's not nostalgic because I didn't live in like the pioneer days. But it feels like that. There's, I think it's the、yeah. there's that. What is the word? It's like higge. I think is the Swedish word. I think H Y G G E. It's just that feeling of sitting and being the cozy, the cozy, the cozy, cozy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. There was something really nice. I think at the beginning of the pandemic last year, that yeah, it'd be nice if it happened again. Forced soul searching. For many people, right? I'm、yeah. I'm hopeful that it'll be like that. I'm worried because I think the world is just very angry, and I think we're just seeing exponential more anger. <laughs> I'm hoping people will just be able to come back to a little bit of higge. What would your parents say you do? Parents, guardians, or loved ones? What do they think you do for a living? How would they describe what they do for a living if somebody asked them? Oh gosh! Actually, all of my dance friends have no idea what I do for a living. Like they still have the all of my startup friends, they probably still think I'm doing startup. My parents,、hmm, they probably think I'm more of a video maker than I'm an actor because the acting job so far between even though I spend most of my time training doing that.、Mm-hmm. But yeah, they were、uh, they would think I'm a video maker. Cool, that's nice. You foster a really great community of people around you. I think you know with the with the group that we have on Facebook that reads for each other, and I think at, you were talking about your your acting friends and stuff like that. I think you foster really and Clubhouse as well too. You you know it got me into Clubhouse, and you do a lot of great things in Clubhouse. Are you still doing the like you guys? You were doing watch parties over the pandemic. I think you you have allowed so many people to come together who I don't think would have ever come together if it wasn't for the pandemic, and I think brought a lot of joy to people. In the times that were not so joyful, so appreciate that, and appreciate you and your creativity and everything you're doing. Thank you, thank you for saying that. Thank you so much, and I'm excited for this to come out and everyone to hear about your fantastic life and your fantastic stories. And I'm excited for、thank、things、you. to come for 
2022. Thank you, Jen. This has been absolutely a blast. Thank you for tuning into our conversation, and thank you, Clement, for being my guest this week. I love your solo versus team sports analogy. I think it really helps drive home how important and fun, honestly, it is to build a solid network of connections and support in the film industry. On the next episode of Second Act Actors, I talk with someone who had a corporate role in advertising before she became an actor. We talk about emotional health, limiting beliefs, and Groupon improv classes. You do not want to miss this episode. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye!